1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Liam Cooper headed goal of the podcast. Not dropping him now, are you? And I'm joined by the Stuart Dallas long distance goal of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. If at first you don't succeed. And finally, the Scott McTominay brace of the podcast, making people look much better than they usually are. It's Darren Driver, Darren Hading.
2: I'm doing alright, thanks John, yeah, thanks for asking mate, I'm not quite sure why I wouldn't be though, so uh, yeah, glad to be here.
1: Yeah, not a lot going on really in the world of Leeds United at the moment. Yeah. Tom Woodhead, how are you? Yeah, well I suppose
3: the good thing about conceding two goals in the first three minutes is that you can you can let that sink in nice and early on and hopefully by the end of the match you've somewhat come to terms with it.
1: Yeah, that was uh, really not the best start we've ever had. Uh, one, of the, one of my friends in another group chat... Um, was laughing at me because I watched the games back at double speed and he said how quick are they going to score when you watch that in double speed (laughs) (laughs) which is true after a minute we were two nil down on my uh my rewatch. so um but yeah I think there's there's plenty to there's plenty to get into and I think I know we always start off with well how did that feel I don't think we really need to ask that question I can't imagine that anyone's going to have anything positive to say about it but um it's interesting that you mentioned there, Tom, that you know we were 2-0 down after however many minutes, three minutes. We were 3-0 down after whatever it was, 20 minutes. Um, was it very much a case of you guys watching it and just being like, well, that game's gone before we even had a chance to really explore the idea that we could maybe scrape something?
3: I think definitely at 3-0 down, it felt that way. And, and just... 2-0 down within three minutes, you're always giving yourself a massive task to come back, aren't you? I don't actually think we were that bad going forward on the whole, but obviously we left huge gaps for them to exploit.
1: It's a very interesting game, really, isn't it? Because I remember looking at the the score... I mean, at the 25th minute, it was we were 3-0 down. I remember looking on InfoGoal at the XG... Um, um tallies just to see how we were getting on because i i mean obviously at three 0 down you kind of think well we've not we've not deserved this i'm not trying to excuse this at all but i was just interested to see what it was and we were on they were on 0.62 and we were on 0.63 xg and i thought you know yeah. that's that's really not your it's really things not going your way when when that sort of thing happens so at the same time i think it's important that we don't try and make excuses for what was very much a, a deserved um uh, a loss, i think in the end and um i think lots of reasons why it was that that we ended up losing but let's jump into the questions i think first um thank you again for all your questions we've had over 80 questions um and obviously we can't go through all of them so so do bear with us um and and do keep asking your questions we do read through them all and we and we select the ones that allow us to sort of have the discussions that we want to have um but the first question is from Neb, who says, "Should we just move on and forget about this, like the work Christmas party when you drank too much, and I think this is a good place to start really is there in in coming back to sort of assess this and analyze this, Darren, is there really anything that we can get out of it
2: well, I haven 't drunk alcohol in ten years, and let me tell you that even ten years on, I can still remember the fucking horrendous bullshit that I used to put myself through when I did and all I can say is that I don't think you can forget it I think I think there are definite lessons to learn from last night's game and I think that that and you know no doubt we'll we'll go into some some detail about about what you know what the tactical decisions were and what the players decision making could have been different but I think I think there are there are definitely lessons to learn um because although yeah we we were ahead on xg at 3-0 down I, I think that you know that the, the quality of the chances that we gave away in that first twenty minute we we really need to we really need to kind of address some of the some of the problems which created those three goals like really really quite urgently. Although having said that, the the way that Man United set up was designed to exploit those those problems that we sometimes create for ourselves, and I don't think that some of the matches that we've got coming up, that won't be the case. in, in you know, against Burnley and, and, and whatever some of the other games. So, although I I, I will take the Spurs game off that list because I think they'll just as ruthlessly exploit them but in different ways <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's true Tom how how about how are you approaching this game as a sort of uh, as, as a sort of process thing how do we look at this game and and try and rationalize it within the context of where we're at and, and everything that's gone on
3: yeah I think Bielsa can learn a lot from this one actually because I think um, the Leicester game and uh, the Wolves game to an extent and the Palace game. That those were games where I think there was more, in some ways, there was more going wrong than there was in this game. I think in this game going forward and in terms of creativity, in terms of keeping possession, a lot of aspects of our game have improved since that period. And now it's a case of seeing if we can maintain that improvement going forward, but stop the you know the gaping holes that were appearing. And fair play to Solskjaer, really. Um, it was an interesting thing that he did, I think, in terms of push, pushing the holding midfield player up to be the most attacking player like multiple times uh, just to try and get our man marking system get our players as far out of their comfort zone as possible so this might be something that people see and try and replicate and I don't think it's going to be easy to replicate but the fact that people might try and do it you know better minds than me i.e. Bielsa and his coaching staff will presumably have ideas as to how we can get around this kind of thing in the future if it happens again.
1: Yeah, the, the, it does raise questions about what you change in these sorts of situations. And I, I think part, I mean, part of it again comes down to the fact that you don't expect someone like Stop, Scott McTominay to clonk one in from outside the area into the bottom corner and and then score another one minutes later and you know if we erased that first five minutes I'm sure the game would have been slightly different um, so and I'm sure n- neither of you are going are to advocate wholesale changes but we did have a question from Vid Serdic who said will Bielsa be forced to change the style of play and does the current crop of players have the necessary quality to play in the Premier League um, Tom what would you make of that
3: um, well I don't, I don't think he will change the style of play uh- um, and i think the current crop of players do have the necessary quality to play in the premier league whether they have the necessary quality to be competing for Europe- a european place is another matter but if, if we're looking to come 17 which 17th which is the ultimate goal this season you know the minimum accepted standard then i think these players are easily good enough and i don't think we need to hold, have any wholesale change of the side what i th- what i think maybe I would have liked to see yesterday was for Click to just be a bit more conservative uh, with his positioning when we had the ball. Because I've seen a lot of uh, criticism of him and Rodrigo. And I actually thought this was one of Rodrigo's best games for Leeds. Um, He did make some mistakes, but I thought in general he had a pretty good game. But when you've got both of those guys tearing forward, um, it it made it really obvious how open in the middle we were.
1: Yeah. How about you, Darren? What would you want to see changing in this sort of situation?
2: I I think that Bielsa will be aware, as any of us, that that the times in which we've looked most in control of of matches um, in his reign has been when we've been able to play um, foreshore and click together because that gives us the ultimate control of the game. And I I think foreshore... Um, is is a very tactically intelligent midfield player. Now, obviously, he's injured and he's not he's not going to be um, he's not going to be available anytime soon. It would seem, but but I, I think I think that we need to find some way to to regain that that level of control because I, I think if you just take the first goal as an example, the first goal that we gave away. Um, when Rafinha's got the ball and he's pressed out wide there's actually no Leeds players showing for him and making themselves available for a pass, they've all run past him they're all in Man United's half um, Phillips, um, Rodrigo and Click and I think that a more tactically in- astute player, whether that be Forshaw, whether that be um, Pablo, whether that be Jamie Shackleton, who actually I think would have would have shown himself in that position. Um, I, I think I think that we need to find a way to kind of temper some of, some of those instincts to all charge forward. And I think you know it's unusual that Calvin found himself in the position that he did for that first goal. But I think we we need to find some way to kind of manage the game a bit more smartly than we do at times at the moment. I think
3: the thing is, I think Click can do it. Like I, I I think he does have that tactical intelligence, but. At times, sometimes when he plays with Rodrigo, he still seems to play as though he's not playing with Rodrigo. And I'd maybe like to see him recognise a little bit more when he is playing with Rodrigo that he is no longer the most attacking midfielder on the pitch and he does have to adjust his game a little bit. Uh, Especially, as you say, in terms of showing for for short passes when we have the ball in the sort of, um, I guess, the middle third or the back of the middle third of the pitch. like Those kind of areas...
2: But I think it's important that we remember that, that you know our football is inherently high-risk and if you play high-risk football, inevitably at some point you're going to get punished and punished really badly and I think that's what happened yesterday. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The other thing is to, to remember is that the Liverpool and Man City games could both very easily have gone the same way as that one did yesterday and we managed to come out of those ones with credible results. And playing this style of football has seen us take points from four of the teams above us and from three of the teams below us. So it's, it's not like we're only taking points away from, from the, the teams below us. And, and what that means is that the style will work often enough over the course of a season to see us get the number of points that we need. Now, if that means that we have to take, a, take an absolute gubbin like we did yesterday, I'd rather we didn't, but, but I think that's a, that's a price worth paying for a kind of fairly comfortable mid-table survival in the, in the, in the division.
3: Yeah, I thought John, you made a really interesting point about that on Twitter the other night about about the how the evolution of the team could possibly go on through subsequent years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, the tweet that I put out was about. You know the prototype being set in place now because it's good enough for us to stay in the league. And then what you're looking at is in in subsequent transfer windows, you're thinking, right, where can we improve? Where is our weakest point, and we can bring someone in and make the system even stronger. And the problem that you have, and you see that happening so so often with newly promoted sides, is that if you use defensive solidity as as your um, means of staying in the league, you you're generally doing that because you don't have strong enough players to develop a more um, sort of a, a more Offensive style of play, and the problem is, is you you start doctoring your your uh, your tactics to your squad, and it means that it's very very hard to bring in better players because your tactics are designed to suit less good players. And I think what what the beauty of our system is, is that you know we we all know that we need a better left back, um, and in maybe in in the winter transfer window, or maybe in the summer transfer window, we'll probably bring in a better player, and and suddenly our system looks a little bit better. And then you think, where's the next weakest position? And you and you're constantly bringing in in players, and uh, the, the- point is is that the system is is able to facilitate better players and is able to facilitate a higher position in the league than maybe maybe someone like Sheffield United's position who after a season of a fairly solid defensiveness but perhaps over overperforming their goal scoring metrics they're now suddenly in a slump because their system doesn't really have the the wherewithal to sort of slot in new players and 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 take us take them to that next level yeah, it's
3: quite a retro example, but I always think of Stoke when it comes to stuff like this. Stoke under Pulis, Like Tony Pulis in his own way is a genius, the way that he got he got that team getting the results that he was getting. But then you had him he tried to bring in players like was it Tunshai, the Turkish forward who was a, a sort of flair player and, and 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 then you had a you know a series of managers, Mark Hughes and people who'd promise oh we're going to finally start playing some football and it just didn't work because you know once you've got as you say you, you can't get a better bigger bastard at the back like you know they already had the best big bastards around so <laughs> you know you, you're not going to push push that any further so, and then and eventually they went down because even even when they did go back to uh, a more sort of attritional style when they brought Lambert in so and and you know they're not looking like coming Straight back up to the Premier League any time, particularly soon, either. So, I, th- I think you're definitely right. We um, we need to take the rough with the smooth, and games like this, especially. And it's not like we didn't pinpoint the Man United game as a game that could go like this. And, and I'm sure Bielsa and his staff are realistic enough, while still being eternal optimists, to to know that this was possible as well.
2: And I think that the reaction of the fan base is partly down to the identity of the people that put put those goals past us. If, if Liverpool or City would have would have done this to us. I think people would have kind of been more inclined to shrug their shoulders and go, well, that's just the way it goes when you come up against really high-quality teams. But because it's Man United and there's all that history and there's this perception that they're not very good, then, then I, think, I think that creates a whole different world uh, and a whole different storm. But ultimately, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we'll keep doing what we're doing, and quite rightly so.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very true. Um, we did have a question from RLNFT who said, we should expect these kinds of losses against top six teams, in my opinion, playing the way we do. But that means that in the other 26 games, we need to be averaging at least 1.5 points for uh, 40 points-ish, probably more. Um, do we need to be more sensible in big games? Plan B, three four three five three two. 4 um, Yeah, Darren, I'll throw that on to you.
2: Do we have the personnel to play? A tight three-four-three or tight three-five-two. I would be. I would suggest that I don't think we do. I think. I think the players that we've got are, are suited to play in this system, and for I mean, quite apart from anything else, we don't have the, <laughs> enough centre halves at the moment to kind of play a, a more defensively rigid system, which is designed to scrape out a point. And you know, we we know Bielsa's thoughts on the philosophy. His his view is that if he doesn't. 100% firmly believe in 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 the way that he wants his team to play and he can't expect his team to. So we we may, you know, we may need to in inverted commas, but that's just never going to be the way that Bielsa approaches things.
3: Uh, the thing is, I mean, if you look at the current top six, we've played all of them except for Southampton. And, and if you maybe swap Man City for Southampton, because they're just below, you could say we've played. And we've got four points from those games which is not great, but do we honestly think we would have got more points if we'd gone defensive in all those games? Because I think we would have zero.
2: Absolutely agree.
1: Yeah, there was a good tweet actually on, um, that I saw before where someone made the point that um, people think that management is like being a football manager, manager, as in football manager of the game, where you just sort of change your tactics and you just tell a, change a few pe- people in the personnel and suddenly your team is just playing those tactics, no problem, you know. There's a reason why... Marcelo Bielsa is is so immersive in his tactics because you need to be immersed in the the rotations and the interchanges and the movements and the defensive s- structure in order for it to work and you can't just sort of you can't just sort of one week be like right this week we're going to be playing positional play and then next week we're going to be playing um, not a man marking system but a zonal marking system which re- relies on specific pressing triggers in certain areas and we're going to do x y and z it's just it is not that simple you just because we can theoretically break down what's wrong in the game doesn't mean that the fix is is a simple one because it's not football management is never about just telling people to understand what's going on it's about getting the players to move in those ways almost naturally a lot of the time as well Uh, and so it's not quite so simple as I think a lot of people think so I do think we would lose an edge
2: and i think it's it's also about recognizing that that any any system of football that you choose to play is holistic, so how you choose to set up defensively will have a direct impact on how you're able to attack and vice versa so if we if we want if we want to attack in the way we do and we want to cause teams' problems and we attack like a a really top top level team then then with that is is going to come some defensive weakness, and that's true of any team which which attacks to the level that we do throughout the history of football
3: The other thing I'd say is that um Bielsa's already asking so much of these players like to he's asking them to do more way more training sessions than the average footballer does asking them to take in all these like pretty complicated concepts and ideas and and if he then adds another layer of, all right, this week we're going to come play a completely different way, but I'm still going to have all the obsessiveness and attention to detail, they'll just switch off eventually. You hear all the time about managers who, you know, t- tinker too much and players just hate it. They don't like having to uh, chop and change and do different things every week. So it's either, you know, accept that you don't want Bielsa as your manager or accept that it's going to be this way.
1: Yeah, and it's not—it's not as if these problems don't beset teams at the other end of the table, right? So it's not like Sean Dyche is sitting there and they're like, "Well, we're playing a weaker team this week. We've got to come out and play expansive positional football." They still play exactly the same football that they play, and they just sort of hope that they get the the run of the the mill in the in the um, set piece situations, or that they get a, a goal from us. You know, it's it it goes both ways, and the the question basically comes down to: Do you want to see your team playing more exciting football? which may, which probably will give you a better edge in, in winning games against teams around about you? Or do you want to play solid football against everyone and then risk going down because you can't beat teams like West Brom because they'll sit deep against you and you'll sit deep against them and you won't know what to do against it? So for me, that's what it comes down to. I I've, I have absolutely no qualms about going Bielsa going forward I I think we'll be fairly comfortable we've had a couple of big games coming up if we can take four points from the next two games we're sitting on what 21 points with
3: 16 played I think
1: yeah exactly which is easily fine for us to be staying up when you're talking about when you're talking about the fact that we'll probably need 35 points to stay up that's only 14 more points from the rest of the season I think I think it's fine um and yeah, I think it, a lot of this does come down to the fact that the aesthetic. It, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because we've gone from a midweek game against Newcastle where we thrashed them, to being thrashed ourselves. And within that space of time, we've gone from we're fine, we'll be getting we'll be getting challenging for Europe again. To well, this is it, we're going down again. And as I, I, someone someone like myself just can't deal with that level of fluctuation. I think the the, the right answer must be somewhere in the middle. It must be. It must be sort of you know we are going to lose big games, but we're also going to win some lower lower table clashes as well in quite exciting style. And I think that's what it comes down to.
3: I think in some sections of like the wider footballing populace as well, there's a there's a sort of, there's an assumption that we're going to get worse as the season goes on. You know that we're going to tire. Um, I think we're going to get better as the season goes on. Personally, I think especially in those games against teams like um, Burnley and West Brom the teams that do sit back I think Bales is going to come up with more and more ideas to break those kinds of teams down as we integrate Rufina and Rodrigo properly into the side like players who can really do stuff that we we weren't capable of doing at all before so um, yeah I, I I think we'll probably if I was asked to you know if I was asked to make a bet on it I, I would go for us getting more points in the second half of the season than the first
1: yeah although I do worry a little bit that teams are going to quote-unquote finders out in the sense that it's, I mean, in, in the sense that, you know, everyone talks about it in hushed tones as though it's some kind of genius move, but we know that and this brings us actually on to the next few questions actually so let's let's move on um, Mark Mark Forsyth says does the man marking system rely on the premise on a basic level that our players are better than the oppositions if we come up, up against better quality one-on-one um, man- uh, Chelsea, Manchester United etc are we always destined to struggle and I think this is what it what it comes down to is that we've that there's been a couple of games now against Chelsea and Manchester United both of which have the added narratival element of we really wanted to win them um, but in those two games, you know, two managers who most people think of as being fairly run of the mill, average managers with without a huge amount of tactical now causes a huge amount of problems. And I think this raises a lot of questions um in people's minds because everyone's been laughing at Oligo for for years now, because you know he's he's sort of bumbles along and, and gets his teams doing not quite enough and not just enough to, to sort of justify him staying in the job but not enough for that squad of players that he has to to look anything like what they should be looking like. So, um, yeah, Tom, do you want to start with this? What do you make of this, the, the fact that, you know, against teams like United and Chelsea who have player-for-player player better um, personnel than us suddenly causing us all these problems in, in our man-marking system?
3: I think it's definitely true to a certain extent. You know, there's definitely a lot of truth in it. Um, I would, I would, I would. It sounds boring, but I'd, I would go back to it, it, it being worth it on aggregate to for the effects it has in the games when we're playing against teams where they're not obviously better than us, man for man. Um, I, and I think there are there are ways that our players can gain an edge. One of them is by running more. And again, Man United had to run a lot last night compared to how how much they normally run. So fair play to them for that.
2: I think I first noticed how much of a problem. Players um, being able to, to to beat their man marker in our system was in Bielsa's third game in charge or something, which was the the Swansea away game when when uh, Selena caused us loads of problems because he was able to dribble past Calvin Phillips a few times and and that the the centre half whose name I can never remember caused us problems by carrying the ball out from the back and finding a you know pass. This is not new. That it just we're just up against better players um, who who are more. Who are more capable of of kind of winning that individual battle and leaving their man behind? It's it. I don't think I I wouldn't advocate changing it because I agree with Tom on aggregate. It's it's gonna it's gonna work out for the best over the course of the season. But these are not new problems.
1: As Mike Vanderhorn the, the the mystery centre. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, totally agree with you. And I, th- and I think what people don't realise as well is that the man marking system it's not like it's not like there's levels to it it's a binary thing either a player is good enough to get around you or they're not and if they're not good enough to get around you then the man marking system performs adequately and the problem is is that when you come up against teams like chelsea and and manchester united then all over the pitch, you start having these mismatches where everyone's getting either dragged around, dragged out of position, or someone is having to cover for someone else, and suddenly the whole system breaks down. And it, it is just a levels levels thing, you know. We, we will play against we will play against Burnley and West Brom in the next two games, and we won't have those mismatches one to one all over the pitch like we do against those teams. And suddenly we'll look great again. Same happened with Newcastle, you know. Everyone was everyone was panicking about a couple of results. Um, and and because, you know, we got done on set pieces a couple of times, everyone was like, right, this is it, we're going to go down. And then suddenly you play against a team where suddenly those one-on-one matchups are, are the same again, and suddenly the system looks fine again. So it's one of those things where it, it absolutely, it's frustrating and absolutely terrifies you when it goes wrong, but... Um, you 've just got to live in the hope that there are enough teams for which that one to one system is going to is going to work fine um across the across the field so uh, another thing well another question that' sort of in that vein was from Ellis Manelli. He said sides should put more effort into dragging Phillips out of position and leaving the middle of the pitch open like Manchester United Fernandez did yesterday. How do we deal with this when it happens? Should the eights drop slightly deeper and not be as tight to their men? Uh, would this impact our press um, though I think that Chelsea were doing something similar with Havertz when he dropped much deeper than Mount. Phillips was on Havertz and one of the eights had Mount. This causes obvious problems. I think we switched men, but Chelsea could easily then ask Mount to drop deep instead, etc. Um, yeah, Tom Tom Woodhead, what do you make of, of this sort of... The, the, obviously, Manchester United were brilliant yesterday at dragging players all around the, all around the, the park, uh, making space. Fernandes did a really good job of that as well. So uh, what's the solution to this?
3: It sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but... I don't think most teams will have a holding midfielder who's capable of putting in the kind of performance that McTominay put in yesterday and exploiting the space in the way that he did. Um, I, I personally think the only individual performance against Leeds, Bielsa's Leeds, that I can remember that that's, you know comes close to as good as that was uh, Lee Tomlin against Cardiff when he came on and completely changed that game. Um, he, he just did very, very well. And, and, and what are our next games? Burnley, West Brom... Are we are really? Were we really worried if if they, those teams try and do the same thing? Like I don't know who plays holding midfield for Burnley, but I don't think I'd be that worried if they you know interchanged and popped up on the edge of the box.
2: Absolutely, and 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 I think part of the problem came yesterday, not not because um, because we were going man to man, but actually because for the first two goals, the man just wasn't picked up. Um, the the, the man marking system failed, and I don't think marking zonally would have helped that even at all because if effectively for the second goal her was marking zonally and McTominay as a result just ran straight past him and was able to pick the ball up and, and, and put it away. So I think I think there's a there's a kind of there was an issue of of, of diligence in terms of, of in terms of the man to man marking in the first few minutes yesterday. Uh and I'm not I, I'm not going to single anybody out but it was just it was just a matter of there were times where we didn't pick up the runners where people failed to pick their man up and we got punished for it
1: sometimes wondered whether or not in this sort of game when you know that there's a playmaker like that who is going to move the the central defensive midfielder around whether or not it's worth doing something that we do in the 3-3-1-3 with that sort of or, or even like that sort of four-two-three-one-ish that we play sometimes, where Dallas plays as a holding player next to Phillips. And I wonder whether or not we should have tried to do that yesterday, yeah. try to work out some kind of system of using Dallas as the man marker on Fernandez and and keeping um, keeping Calvin Phillips a little bit more central. But again, you how do you do that without then compromising the man marking system in some way?
3: Were we not doing something similar to that in the second half when Dallas moved into midfield? I don't I don't know. It's a question.
1: Uh, I don't think so I think it was the same sort of system I just think that Dallas was maybe a little bit more conservative in terms of his positioning um but yeah I think the the issue is 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 always going to be I mean let's face it right the real issue yesterday was that we weren't able to control the ball for long enough we weren't able to hold on to the ball we were losing it they were pressing really well high and in wide areas which is what we always constantly bang on about on this on this podcast and it's all well and good. Everyone's sort of focusing on the man marking system. But the reason why the man marking system looks awful in those situations is because we're in a, we're in attacking transition and suddenly we're in a defensive transition and we just get ruined by that sort of turnover all the time. And so, I guess my, I don't really mind too much about the man marking system I just I'm constantly worrying about how do you get a team of players who were able to control the ball quite well in the championship because we largely dominated possession and for me it comes down to the two fullbacks because um they, they, they those two fullbacks aren't strong enough in build up and in the championship, it was fine because there wasn't huge amounts of pressure being put on those two fullbacks in the build-up, um, because largely we were sort of able to transition really well, um, just through through the wide areas anyway. Um, and now teams just are able to press. I mean, Manchester United's high press yesterday was really good. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I hate to say it, but um, and, and you know, this is this is. Um, Common commonality between again Lampard and Olegan Solskjaer is that whatever you want to say about the fact that they are they have an inability to to do any sort of build up attacking build up. Um, routines and and actually develop good ways of attacking teams that are well-structured. Um, they are really, really good at, at setting up a press and that's what they did yesterday. caused us problems in, in wide areas and so we constantly turned the ball over in wide areas. Uh, we didn't help ourselves by making silly passes as well in certain situations. I mean, the Rodrigo yeah. pass um, for the, whatever that was, third goal was it? Third yeah. goal it was, yeah. Stands out.
2: I was just going to say that square balls like of the sort that Rodrigo played for that third one of killed us against Leicester, Chelsea and Man United in various situations. Um we, we that that's why BL likes passes to be vertical because if you if you're playing a ball forward and it gets cut out you're not you're not going to be struggling in to pick up your players as much as you are if you play a, a daft square ball effectively to the feet of the opposition and then you're right under the gun because they're broken the lines immediately.
3: I think you're right about the fullbacks though John um and I also think that it's with Dallas it's for some reason it seems less of a problem when he's on when he's playing at left back because i think he naturally looks to come inside a bit more which is a bit more of a conservative option anyway uh so so his pass choice isn't quite as um i i mean it is it's limited in in a good way i guess like it 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 puts the blinkers on him to an extent and um and and helps him make better decisions i think when he's playing at left back rather rather and it'd be so nice to have ailing back at right back I don't know. Would you bring? Would you? You know. Would you bring Lorente as soon as possible to make that happen, or would you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I really like Ailing as a centre back, and I guess maybe the the option of having Shackleton as a right back and and Dallas as a left back works quite well for me. And I think it's a really astute point you make about Dallas inverting really nicely um, rather than going on the outside. He goes on the inside, and it makes a big difference because again it's sort of it sort of fills out the midfield a little bit more as well um and and it seems as though for some reason that he's he's pretty adept at making those sorts of runs whereas over on the right-hand side there's just so many ch- there's so many examples yesterday where he almost seems to misread the play a little bit it's like even for the when so Rafinha for the first goal Rafinha miscontrols the ball which is what causes all the problems um and and that's why all of our midfield are out of position because they they're so used to Rafinha's ball control just being fine. So the ball goes into his feet and and they see that as a trigger to then all push forward. Um, and he Rafinha miscontrols it and you still see Dallas maybe a second after everyone else pushing forward when it, it's quite clear that Rafinha is looking like he might lose the ball in this situation and for some reason he seems to do that more on the right than the left I have absolutely no idea why that is the case but it, it may also be the case that we we just do a lot of our build-up down the right hand side right that's that's what the expectation is whereas on the left we leave it a little bit more open and I think teams teams are a bit more likely to 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 commit men over on the on our right rather than our left, but um, yeah, it is a concern. I don't, What would you do, do? Sorry, I was going to say, what would you do, Darren, in the in the full back areas?
2: Yeah, I agree. I I think I think Shackleton at the right back area and Dallas at left back would would be the ideal because I think when you you would just alluding into it there, but when you, when you play Dallas at right back, he gets pressed more. He get is under a lot more pressure. Um, and and his use of the ball needs to be that much better than, than than it naturally is. So I think, yeah, he does get a little bit more time at, at, at left-back, and I think that would be ideal.
3: I was going to say as well that, I mean, obviously the wing has switched last night, but I think Harrison tends to come a little bit closer to his to his full-back. Like not not necessarily deeper, but I think he likes to play closer to his full-back than Rafinha tends to, um, where Rafinha will drift into space in a different way. So I think he does get a bit more help when he's playing on the left as well.
1: We did have a question from Jacob Stanbridge which sort of connects into this but he says would you prefer A for this game at halftime and B in general though I should acknowledge it's hard to talk in broad terms when opponent threats differ. Would you prefer Shackleton at right back and Dallas in central midfield or Dallas at right back and Shackleton in central midfield? Darren.
2: Shackleton at right back, Dallas in central midfield because the the build up play is so essential from from the full back position. Um, I I didn't think Dallas was great when he moved into central midfield yesterday by any stretch of the imagination, and there were there was at least one or two occasions when when he was kind of really hesitant to find to find the pass, and he was pressed really well. And I think I think he really does struggle when he's pressed hard in the midfield. But I, th- I think that um, I think that Shackleton from the right full back position is 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 a Bit smarter in terms of the way in in terms of his use of the ball. He's a bit smarter in terms of the way that he moves inside. So definitely Shackleton at right back and in Dallas in central for me.
3: I think I probably would for most games. I'm I, Jacob acknowledges that um, it's quite dependent on the opposition and what I would. I think I'd probably rather have Shackleton in midfield in games that have quite a tight midfield, um, where the, the where the spaces are quite small. Um, but that isn't that many games for us. Uh, so I think yeah, I think for. Certainly, I think it was the best option last night. And and honestly, I I wouldn't have expected that to be what Bielsa would do. But when you actually see it, it's obvious that it made more sense last night for Shackleton to go to right back and push Dallas into midfield, I think.
1: Um, one final question about the the game yesterday, really in terms of the the tactics, is from Chris Kirk. He says, "What is the right balance in central midfield for games like this?" Um, was all about their runners in central areas today and failing to track or match their power one v one. So, how would we go about answering this question? We, I mean, we've already suggested that we need someone like Forshaw. Is that is that going to be the solution here?
2: I think so. Yeah, I think I think I think that until we we have another option to to play in there, who's a bit a bit more solid, a bit more tactically aware of what's coming the other way I think we're always going to struggle in games like this though only in games like this
3: yeah for me for me I I agree I still don't think there's any technical or uh footballing intelligence reason why click couldn't do it um you know play a similar sort of role and Shackleton as well um I I I acknowledge neither of them are perfect and neither of them are quite the same sort of player that Forshaw is but I think um all the stuff that Bielsa has done with Click since he's come to the club has been about making him better going forward and making him more attacking and more gung ho. Um and I think he doesn't want to he doesn't want to complicate things too much maybe by saying, Hey, drop a bit deeper because if you look at Click before he came to Leeds, he was a deep lying central midfielder sort of playmaker type, wasn't he? So He's definitely got what it takes to play there, but I, I I certainly understand if Bielsa is reluctant to to start telling him to hold back a little bit and be a bit more conservative because then you lose a lot
0: about a lot of the improvements that he's made.
1: Right, right, let's move on to look at the attacking side of the game. Uh, we had quite a few questions about various players so first up J. t. can we just appreciate Stuart Dallas's goal even if it's only for a minute? Um, and I suppose it's time for us to to eat humble pie on this on this podcast because we constantly laugh at Stuart Dallas's long range shooting and uh, finally, the blind squirrel found a nut and um, curled one into the top corner, which is a very beautiful goal. so um <laughs> does this change our position on Stuart Dallas's long shooting?
3: All I will say is that uh, my wife, who um, watches only Leeds um, games sometimes with me and doesn't really watch football at any other time, turned to me a few weeks ago and said, Dallas really likes shooting, doesn't he? So <laughs> it's, it's, it's not only weird football geeks who, uh, who are able to have this impression. No, it was a lovely goal, though. Fair
2: play. It was a really nice goal. Shoot more often, I think, if anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, certainly in games where we end up 6 2 losers, I think it's so no problem for me from shooting from distance. It's going to make the scoreline look a little bit more acceptable. Mickey Pieker says, Is Click good enough to play that role in the Premier League? Obviously, we've been. It's funny, isn't it? Click has very much dropped out of favour in the last three or four weeks. I think there's a suspicion that he is perhaps carrying an injury. Certainly, he's been overplayed in the last. Two years, Um, so that's that comes into it. But what's our position on click, Darren?
2: I thought he was great against Newcastle. People have been saying that he was not very good uh, just because he played badly yesterday. I thought he was actually really good against Newcastle and and was really pleased to see it. Yeah, he's absolutely good enough to play in the Premier League. Whether he's good enough, you know, in this kind of um, mystical time in the future when we want to, you know, qualify for Europe and yada 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 maybe who knows but uh, right now yeah absolutely he's good enough he, he had a bad game yesterday i'm not i don't think anyone would try and try and deny that and and the evidence of that is that he got hauled at half time but but i i don't think i think it would be a mistake to um to kind of judge judge his performance in the premier league based on a couple of bad performances i think i think it's a bit of a folly
3: yeah i completely agree course he's good enough to play in the premier league this is typical ignorant question from mickey to be honest yeah mickey
2: fucking hell but <laughs>
3: I, I just but can you imagine um you know a future like hype you know hypothetical situation where we are um you know we, we are going for europe like you wouldn't have any problem with a 32 year old click being like our second choice in that position like he'd be he'd be perfect for that so you know, i think i think clicks places in the premier league un- until he breaks his leg
1: We've gone from a situation where Marcelo Bielsa has been happy saying that he click would play for some <laughs> of the best team in teams the world, in Europe, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. To <laughs> to he's not good enough for Leeds. I'm not. I'm not sure I agree with it. And it's 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 like anything, you know. I, in these sorts of games, I always force myself not to really prescribe anything off the basis of them. I just kind of think you've got to you've got to get it into your head that this is just one. It's frustrating. It's one game. And it's best not to make sweeping decisions on, on players or tactics or whatever until maybe at least the second game after that. So, um, I, I I have no worries about Click. I do think that he's being overplayed. And I do think that he is one of our. Certainly before Rodrigo and Rafinha were, were being played regularly this season, he was our only creative outlet. Um, I no I know Hernandez to be seen either as well. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any worries personally about Click. Uh, Worryload says, are we trying to shoehorn Rodrigo into the team? Doesn't seem to suit our midfield, Tom.
3: I thought he was good. Um, I, I thought he was one of our best players yesterday. Yep. Yeah, he made that mistake for the third goal. But I think in general, his tracking of his men has improved in the last couple of games. His, well, I didn't think it... Maybe I'm being a bit generous there, but uh, I didn't think he was great at against Newcastle. Uh, his, tracking, his tracking back and his... Um, and his turns him being switched on. But I thought he was actually, yeah, as I say, I would possibly have said he was our best player against Man United. So I, I don't have any problem with him at the moment, as long as he's getting better.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to what we were saying before, that you, creative players are always going to be more high-risk players, which means they're going to lose the ball more. And the problem, I think, is at the moment, feels as though we've got two eights in a system who are both sort of quite creative players and are going to lose the ball in, in certain situations and that I think that sort of exacerbates it. And it's very easy to when you when you're usually playing with someone like Hernandez who will make mistakes, lose the ball, but will make those great passes as well. Usually he's playing in midfield alongside someone who's going to be covering for him a little bit more and it's it's just not happening in quite the same way as it does for, um, for with with Rodrigo. I think that's partly because Hernandez likes to drift out wide. I think that's also partly because Hernandez probably plays slightly further forward than Rodrigo. Rodrigo likes to drop back and sometimes when he loses just the ball in those situations it just means we get absolutely ruined in the counter-attack so I think it comes down to that.
3: I also think Rodrigo's type of creativity is very different to Pablo's and I think it depends more on other players also displaying tactical intelligence around him uh, so he can, he can make some great balls that don't necessarily look like great balls because no one made the run and also a lot of his play revolves around getting himself back into the game after he's made the pass. So he might make a really intelligent pass and then make a really intelligent run, which leaves him in a great position to receive the ball again. Whereas I think Pablo is much more of a, your classic playmaker in that he will just see a pocket of space that even the player making the run won't have seen. But the ball is so obvious that that player has to run into that space. And they're, they're different kinds of creativity. And I think sometimes people are looking for the Pablo Type from Rodrigo when it when it's not his fault that that's just not his game, but his 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 game can really improve in different ways.
1: Right, let's talk about the defensive side of the game. Just a couple of questions here. Um, Richard Lang says lots of talk about our poor defence, and yes, it was makeshift at the start and by the end, very makeshift. That said, my view is that Luke was outstanding again with Ilan, Janny, and Shacks playing well. Do the stats back this up? Um, in terms of this question I do think is a good one because we talk we've talked a lot about defensive frailty in in this podcast but we haven't really talked about the defenders being bad. So so how do you how do you explain that Darren like is is it simply the case that they were just left with a thankless task of trying to clean clean up in these transitional phases?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that um that if if you don't get cover from your midfield then you're on a bit of a hide into nothing um and I th- I think that was very much the case for our defend- defenders yesterday. And similarly as a result of that, um, the goalkeeper ends up being massively overexposed throughout the course of the match and needing to make an, an absurd number of saves. Uh, I think he made eight saves um, in a game in which we conceded six goals. So that's that's your goalkeeper being massively, massively been overworked. Um, I, I'd be loath to kind of criticise any individual performance of anybody that that played in in that back five, to be honest, because I, I think they they were just uh, put put into such difficult situations at various points in the, in the game, I thought they kind of managed things as as well as you could reasonably expect, basically.
1: Tom, what do you make of the defensive line? Do you think the defenders largely played okay?
2: Yeah,
3: I think I'd agree with Darren. I think most of the problems were in midfield or in full-back areas, which is sort of a cross between midfield and defence, I suppose, isn't it? But or, or an interaction between those two things. Um, yeah, I, I, I... You know, they're, they're not... We don't have the best defenders in the Premier League, but I, I, I can't find huge fault with them compared to the rest of the team last night. Uh, most, As I say, most of the problems were in central midfield, I think.
2: Put Kiko back in, though, because we conceded six, oh, so it God. was keeper's fault.
3: I did see someone tweet that we should put <laughs> Kiko back in, and I, I don't know, that, that would be enough for me to fold the club, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I thought Mellier was pretty good yesterday. Obviously, there was yeah. the one mistake, but you know who cares at four one down, really. Um, and after having faced just an a really incredible barrage, anyway, through, the, through that point, anyways, it's, uh, I think that's part of the part of the maybe we, something we haven't really talked about. But I think this game does get really hyped up, and I, I think in the first ten minutes we looked at, not shell shocked, but we looked a little bit a little bit overawed by the occasion, perhaps. And I know that we'd been we'd been making. Um, we've been giving it loudly a little bit in the in the days before. I think some of the like Calvin did an interview, maybe, and and they were sort of really firing up uh, the fact that this was against Manchester United. But I do worry what, whether or not in some of these bigger games, you know, the, the combination of of it being being made into an occasion, plus the fact that we have to play. Um, everything pitch perfect for our system to work maybe counts against us i don't know if you guys would obviously it's hard to it's hard to read into like mentality issues and, and i'm i'm a little bit uncomfortable saying it but i do feel as though there is something to that
3: i always think back to that game in bielsa's first season i think it was against Norwich at home uh when when Janssen was saying oh, we want the fans in the ground an hour before kickoff making the loudest noise you have ever United. heard mm. um and yeah and we went I, and you know it's one of those that if we, I, I don't know if you were doing podcasts at this point, but we probably would have said uh, we didn't deserve to lose. But still, I don't think the players, I don't think the players necessarily respond well to that extra added pressure when Bielsa puts so much pressure on every single game anyway, like and so much importance on on every game. I don't, I don't think it's needed this added layer.
2: I always worry whenever I see anybody hyping up an occasion. Um, I think, I think, and, and I don't think this is specific to Leeds. I think. I think if if you're hyping up an occasion, you're not focused on what you what your job actually is um, with, within that. So, yeah, I think next time we play them, just keep quiet. Don't say anything in the press. Go out and fuck them up.
1: Also, like part of me kind of thinks I'd rather we hyped up this occasion and 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 sort of went into the next two games a little bit more muted because you know yeah. those are the sorts of games where I'd rather there was like no no hype for it and we just sort of got on with it and did what we needed to do.
2: I don't think we conceded. The, I don't think we conceded the goal in the first minute because we were too hyped up. Though I think I think what shell shocked us was conceding two goals in the first three minutes, and and that then the game's o- the game's over as a contest, effectively.
1: Steve says, "Have you changed your mind on Pascal yet? I Feel it's been a backwards step the last few times he's come on. Seemed to dither on the ball far too long, too slow deciding what to do." Um, I guess this question is aimed at me, so I shall I shall attempt to offer some kind of an answer. Um I would say the the problem with Pascal uh, is that he just at the moment just seems as though he's being thrown on in on ideal situations which is I guess part of the course when you're a backup player in a in in a position. Um I didn't think he had the worst game yesterday I think it was a few mistakes that he made. Um I also think you know he came on at 4-1 down and we we can we lost the second half 2-1 which is you know, fine. I don't think he had a disastrous game. The penalty was unfortunate. The loss, the loose pass, which led to them counterattacking, was unfortunate as well. But I thought, other than that, he was he was largely okay. I also think Pascal is different to Calvin Phillips, and you know, this is part of the problem. I mean, I I'm very I'm happy with us playing Pascal in that in that position. Um, I see him as a, as a backup to Cooper. Primarily, so it's not like I'll see him come on and play, um, have some sort of mediocre performances as a central defensive midfielder, and then write him off as a player. I think that he'll be, I think he'll be a very good defender. Um, And I think he's, I don't think he played particularly badly yesterday either. But yeah, there was there was a few things which were a little bit unfortunate, and I do think that he he is maybe a little bit uncreative when he's sort of in those situations where, um, where I think Calvin might look to switch the play but um, I didn't think that, I didn't think, there was a few occasions where he did fit fairly nice balls into channels. I thought they were fine. Um, the, one of the big differences between Calvin and um, and Pascal is, uh, is their footedness. Obviously Pascal's left footed and C- Calvin's right. And I think that changes perceptions as well, um, because obviously we, what, given that we overload in certain areas to try and get balls into certain areas, means that Pascal is more likely to be able to do a cross field ball from left to right rather than right to left um and i think that and that means that he his long f- passing tends to be down ch- channels on his left foot so down towards jack harrison um but w- what do you guys make of pascal
2: i thought he was absolutely fine when he came on i mean yeah did it, it's not the situation the sort of situation where you're going to put it, put him on and go Oh, he really changed that game because, like, it's not yeah, like you said, we were already four-one down. So it's a kind of damage limitation exercise from his point of view. And I, I thought he, I thought, I think, I always enjoy watching the way that he deals with um, situations when players are running at him because I think he's very good at channeling people who are running at him into areas where we've got players. Whereas I think Calvin would be more likely to make a tackle there, and either he'd make the tackle or he wouldn't. Um, but I, I think Calvin. Uh, and I think Pascal defends in a kind of slightly more classical defender way. And I, th- I think that's what you'd expect, given that he is a centre-half by trade. But I've got no problems with, with him when he comes on. It- it- I-, I always look forward to watching him play, actually.
3: I mean, does anyone think he was like noticeably worse than Phillips, like yesterday? I-, I thought Phillips was... I don't think Phillips had a terrible game. I thought, you know, other than the fact the team wasn't playing particularly well. But equally, I you know... It- Strike gave away the penalty, but I thought he was fine. He's, a, I mean, he's a bit more conservative with the ball, but that that again is the kind of solidity that people have been crying out for in some of these questions, like being conservative on the ball um, and making good good decisions that cause you not to lose the ball. I think is one of Strike's strengths, and it's one of you know we've we've got we're about to have a question about Forshaw, and I, I don't think you can say, "Oh, Strike's we don't want Strike in that position," and then. Also, be clamoring for Forcia. and I appreciate the, the asker of that question is is not the same person, but um, I think he's he's an interesting player to have in the squad because I think he does provide, I think, pretty high level cover at both those positions.
1: He's a twenty one year old who has, has played his pretty much his whole career as a defender. I think it's a little bit unfair to expect him to come on and, and match Calvin Phillips in terms of distribution. Um, so, and it's you know he's come on and he's come four one down against the club that he's playing against biggest rivals and it's it's a horrible situation to to be brought on in so
3: i mean do do we th- do we think that those substitutions were just about the fact that both players on yellow are on yellow cards it just seems a very unbiased thing to do
1: yes i do <laughs> I, th- I think it's absolutely to do with the yellow cards i think he's been like this game's got away from us i'd rather start with calvin phillips and mateus click next week click needs a rest anyway um so let's do that
3: No, i think you're probably right it just it just seems i've never really seen uh, be able to do anything in a game that that's nodding towards future games. Before
1: the thing is, is that with with Phillips, I don't think the, the issue wasn't that Phillips was playing badly. I don't think there was any tactical issues. Usually, when he's hooked, Phillips off at half time, there's very clear reasons for why that's the case. But or or there's a clear. I mean, even when even when Strouk was hooked off against Villa. I don't. I think that was. I think that was a tactical decision as well. I think there's various things that they that Bielsa will do on the basis of sort of tactics. But that I just find it hard to think of any reason why he would have brought Phillips off other than, you know, there's the risk that he could get Gaelic Cardi. We've also never watched a game where Bielsa's been four-one down at half time, right? As far as I'm aware. So I think that maybe changes the context, but. Um, it does seem it does, I, mean, I agree with you it does seem way too pragmatic for for bielsa bielsa's the sort of person who's like, well, the fans have paid the money for the ticket to to be able to see their favorite players so i mean I know that analogy doesn't really work in this situation, but he would still be thinking that the entertainment was more important than the thinking about the next match but
3: I suppose I suppose he's vindicated in a way because I don't think we were appreciably worse in those areas in the second half compared to. Well, I think the we were better starts. for bringing Shackleton yeah. on for sure. Yeah, I agree.
2: Um,
1: so. And yeah, I think maybe defensively we were a little bit more solid. I mean, I can't think of many situations where where Phillips did anything of defensive note that that um, Stroud didn't do, and obviously the the penalty is the penalty, but. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's tough isn't it because like I think we tend to probably give Phillips the benefit of the doubt and we probably tend to Give Pascal the opposite of that, um and between those two, I think th- there ends up being a bigger chasm between them there's probably fair, but um anyway, let's move on to talk about some of the positives um Dan Holdsworth is doing a sterling job for us these days in that he's giving us positives after every game <laughs> um so yeah thanks certainly, thanks Dan. <laughs> <laughs> certainly helping us out, so some positives Dan says Davis looking very assured, another good performance from Cooper for his haters to ignore a uh, little bit of a of a a catty one in there uh, leads a box office with the only team folks are talking about, and yesterday might convince the club to dip into the market for the centre mid- midfielder we know we all need. Does anyone want to add anything to those positives? We haven't talked about Davis actually.
3: Yeah, we should talk about Davis. Yeah,
1: what did you make of Davis?
3: Much to my pleasure, I thought he was fine. I think he <laughs> went, he made he made one mistake um, early on. I think just after he came on defensively, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, that's one thing. But I thought in possession he was actually more assured and his choice of passing was better than I expected. Um and what it did make me think is, you know, is there a place at left back in this team for Davis, maybe, uh, at some point. Um because we haven't seen him that much, have we? And I don't watch a huge amount of the under twenty threes, but I've always been apart from his obvious pace, which is a strength in itself, I've always been relatively underwhelmed with his ball play like his skill on the ball but he, he, he looked very composed to me playing there and and I know John you, you, you're a, you know you've got a long-term bugbear with Davis being played at centre-back but I, I I do half wonder if if the main reason he gets played at centre-back in the under 23s is to prepare him for situations that he will face when playing at left-back in the same way that Bielsa talked about how Ben White playing in central defensive midfield in Calvin's position would improve him as a centre-back and I think there's a, there's a bit about that uh, to there's a, there's a lot of, of that too the way i think that the under 23s are always playing different positions it's it's to develop them as footballers rather than necessarily to make, mean that that you know they'll play that position in the future in the in a senior team
1: Absolutely. yeah that's interesting i think I would say that we have, what we haven't touched on actually is that Manchester United pressed really high in the first half and then they just dropped into a bit more of a mid-block in the second half. No doubt because they will have been knackered from pressing in the first half and they were 4-1 up. So I think that took a little bit of an edge off the sort of pressure the defenders were up against. Um, but I think your, your point is right about the the under-23s being sort of played in flexible ways. Because, you know, like the, the it almost seems to me like the the obvious move to do is to play Pascal Strauker at centre-back. And then I guess you could move, um, you could move um, Dallas into centre midfield. I guess he was already there, and then play Leaf Davis. Um, Leaf Davis. I, I, yeah, maybe this is the issue. <laughs> thinking about it now, but
3: I th- yeah, I think specifically yesterday we could have brought Casey on, or we accept that Leaf Davis is above the packing order. I- I- you know, related to Casey.
1: It's also like a really good excuse to bring on a player who's not had many senior appearances in a game that doesn't really matter, right? So, I suppose you just sort of—I I guess I would make that decision. Um, I think we're 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 more likely to be lighter at left back than we are at centre back. Weirdly, even though we are very light at centre back, I think there's there's obviously players ahead of Casey in the pecking order. Whereas with Davis, I think it would be it would be a good practice to sort of give him some experience going forward as well. Positive. Sorry, I got sidetracked a little bit.
3: Yeah, as I said, as I said earlier, I thought Rodrigo was good. I, I know he made the mistake for the third goal, and
1: everyone made mistakes, right? Is there anyone who didn't? Yeah, every, everyone
3: made mistakes. I, I thought, I thought that was certainly in relation to the rest of the team's performance. The the Rodrigo's best game, like uh, he, he would have been either my man of the match or very close to it. So I, I, I was pretty happy with him
2: for me. And, and I know I've seen a lot of people say this already, but but the, but the fact that at six two down. In the ninetieth minute we 're still pushing forward, still trying to create chances, still trying to you know make something happen and, and tr- trying to chase a lost cause. I think that 's a source of a source of immense pride for me um, and I was a bit gutted that Harrison missed that chance because at half time I predicted that we'd get beat six three and and that <laughs> meant that we lost six two instead but yeah, just they, they just they just fully committed to it irrespective of the scoreline and you know i'm i am really really proud of that as a, as, a, as, a, as a way of our players responding to adversity
3: yeah that was beautiful to see wasn't yeah. it and and um it's i think it's just good that we had that newcastle game recently to just remind people what is possible uh what and and that you give up the chance of the newcastle game if you you know accept that you have to be pragmatic in these games
1: yeah totally agree and I, th- I guess maybe to add one more thing, it's not very romantic, but we did put up two XG at Old Trafford. I think that's a pretty good achievement. There's not many football teams who will have done that this season or will do that this season. So, I do think you know we are creating chances at the the sort of level that top six sides are creating chances, and that's quite fun.
2: Absolutely, and based on the balance of the game, four two would have been about right, which is what the XG sat sat out, wasn't it? So I, I would have had no problem with that. But it's just those those two bloody goals in the first three.
1: Right, looking forwards, uh, simple question from Ashley Johnson. Are we going to be all right, Darren?
2: We're going to be absolutely fine, Ashley. We're going to finish about where we are now.
3: Tom, do you agree? Yeah, I don't know what's going on in the rest of your life, Ashley, but Leeds United will be <laughs> fine.
1: <laughs> uh, Kevin Sharkey says, will we be forced to replace, for sure, in January to be more solid in possession? Tom?
3: Um, I don't think we will. I, don't th- I can't see it. It feels like that's the position that 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 would take the longest to bed in as well like out of almost all of the positions in the team so I don't think it will happen as much as we might like to see it
2: yeah I think if we if the right player becomes available at the right price I think we'll do something but it won't be any, anything which will massively impact on how this season goes I I don't think I, I think we'll look into next season really before we see that 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 mystical number eight coming
1: and finally from Neil Maltby will be start the same 11 next match I'm going yes unless Cooper is broken Darren yeah Tom
3: yeah, unless Cooper's injured, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, from me as well. Right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Just a few bits of housekeeping here and there. I'll run through the schedule again because we are doing things a little bit differently over the next few weeks. Tomorrow night is our Patreon live stream, 8pm uh, UK time. If you do want to join join us for that, then you still have time to sign up to our Patreon and you'll get all the details over there um, after that over the Christmas period we're going to try and roughly have a um, a bit of a break for, for us it's been a long old year so w- what we're going to do is we're going to preview the two games over Christmas um, some point this week um, so that's the Burnley game and the West Brom game and then we're going to do a review episode uh, around sometime around Wednesday the 30th ish, um, and we'll cover what's happened over Christmas. Then um, that will mean you get a week of freedom from us, and we get a week of freedom from you. Um, if you do. If you if you don't want to be free from us um, the, the, the there is the uh, the option for you to for you to uh, avoid freedom from us by going over to our patreon and getting a little bit more bonus content we may put some other stuff up over there over the next few weeks uh, but we do have written content we do have audio content and we do have video content as well so if you do fancy that do head over to our patreon which is patreon.com forward slash all stats um we And with that, we arrive at the end of the podcast. And so there is nothing more for me to do than to say thank you to Darren. Thank you very much. And thank you to Tom. Thank you. And I am just about to commence Darren driving home for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. I mean, we'll be back at some point midweek with our previews for the Christmas period. But if you don't fancy those, and I wouldn't blame you given that it's Burnley and West Brom, then do have a great Christmas. It's been uh, fantastic having so many people engaged with us as well this year. So have a great Christmas.